that I am so thankful to hear and to know that God is still opening doors. And he's still doing it today. He, God is still working on the hearts of people, opening the hearts of man and women, children, throughout the world so that they can know him and believe on him. And I love that God is doing that, and he is still doing that today. The world is wanting us to think that God is no longer working, and that is as wrong as it can possibly be. I'm thankful that we know that God's still opening doors. But one thing that we have to realize is this. When God opens a door to salvation and someone who has believed in Christ and their whole family, what we saw last week in the first part of Acts chapter 16, we have to realize um, that the devil hates it when the Lord works. We have to realize that the, when the, the devil hates when God does a mighty work in your life and your family's life. He is always trying to shut every door that the Lord opens. But what we know in Scripture is that is not a possibility. Um, he can't do that. Jesus writes to the faithful church of Philadelphia in Revelations chapter um, 3, I have opened a door for you that absolutely no one can close. And if you're here this morning and you've not believed upon Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the greatest news to you today is God's opened the door of salvation for you to be able to hear from God's word today, the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where you can repent of your sins and believe the gospel because that door is open. The devil wants to shut that door so bad he cannot stand it, but he cannot shut that door because God opened it. And it's opened for a certain amount of time that me and you don't know of, but he does. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day is he, he's opened it up for us. And as soon as the Lord opened the door to Lydia's heart that we talked about last week in the first part of Acts chapter 16, her and her family were saved, but as soon as that happened, the devil pitched a fit. And, and if you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At the moment where some God does a mighty work in your family's life, the devil gets upset and he causes trouble immediately following that. And he does not like that at all and does not want that to happen. But we know and everybody here knows that bad things happen. I, I, I don't understand. We're very intelligent people. Man, we can do things. We can fix things. Um, we know how to work out deals in different ways. But yet still, we, me and you have a hard time understanding that bad things happen. Because every time a bad thing happens, what happens? We're taken off guard. Like, why did that happen? I can't believe that happened. We're amazed that those things, these bad things happen, and we're upset when they happen, and we act like we never thought they would ever happen again. But bad things happen, and they're always going to ha be happening, not just to you, not just to me, but to absolutely every person in this world. That's what happens. But we're going to see in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, is some ways that we can respond correctly in life when bad things actually happen, even after something nice happens. So let's read in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through um, 24. Now it happened, 
as we went to pray, prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit from by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So when we see the talking about bad things happening, Lydia just had got saved. Her whole entire family had gotten saved and baptized. And this was not just a, this was a very wealthy woman who had a lot of possibility and big home. And so what she was doing is she was now allowing Paul and Silas to use her home as a church. So a great thing was happening here in this city. And things were moving. It was, it was working out great. But as soon as that happened, the devil is going to throw a wrench in the middle of everything. Trying to stop that work. Trying to upset that apple cart or however you, you want to say it. But how does he do it? The first way he does it is by annoyance. And I don't know about you, but every one of us knows someone in their life that annoys us. Um, for my sister, um, I think my, my Jim Gray knew my sister like that, you know. Um, my sister, I was the annoyance in her life. Um, she was a couple years older than me. We were sitting back of the old 88 Cutlass Supreme, you know, the one where you could like walk around and get in the back and window and everything. I mean, you had all the room in the world. But my sister would be sitting there, and I would take my finger, and I, just, I would just touch her. How many of y'all did that? A couple of you. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was, we, I was just touching her, and she like, quit touching me. What's hurt? It don't hurt. Quit touching me. And it, it, would, get, it would turn into a brawl before the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? The end of the trip, we, my mom would say, don't make me pull this car over, you know, you know. And she ended up pulling the car over and all that stuff. But we know how to annoy each other. But what happened is the devil didn't like what was going on, so he put someone in Paul and Silas' life to annoy them. And let me say this to you from the bottom of my heart and not offend anybody. The majority of us have never, ever done anything in our life to annoy the devil. The devil is completely happy with the majority of our lives. We're not doing anything for Jesus. We're not doing anything special or anything amazing. And he wants us to be that way. Doing nothing. And we're okay with that. But can you imagine for a second doing something so much for the glory of God 
that you have annoyed the devil and he wants anything in this world to stop you. If we want to live our lives, we want to live our lives to the point that we make the devil mad. That we have him upset about us and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ absolutely every single day. And here, that's exactly what happened. The, de the demon was annoyed, they were annoyed with what um, Paul and Silas were doing. So they possessed this, this little young lady that was possessed with the devil who had a, a spirit of divination, which means that she could tell fortunes. They, she had a demon living in her. So that demon, through this little girl, followed Paul and Silas around, and they did what? They told the truth. They didn't lie about Paul and Silas, but they said exactly what Paul, Paul and Silas was, was doing. And what they said was true, and we need to remember that. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you realize that the demons know the Bible as much as you do? Do you realize the demons know Jesus believe, and believe in Jesus just like you do? And they, they know, um, are afraid of him and know the power? They're hoping one day that they win and, and, and they don't have to go to hell, but they understand right now they're damned to hell. And what they want to do more than anything in this world is take as many people to hell with them, and that's their heaven. Is that they ain't going to go by themselves, they're going to take a lot of people with them. Hoping that would make it better for them, which it won't. But they believe and tremble. And this little slave girl was demon-possessed. But what was different about her than uh, what we think about demon possession is pretty amazing. When we think about it, we think about heads turning around and around. Be honest with me. Have you ever thought about a demon-possessed person and not think a little girl's head just goes twisting around and around? All of us think that first thing coming up in our lives. Or a, a wild voice or, or something of that nature. No, that's not what this was. This little girl had this demon in her and she he was telling them the, the fortunes of people and making her slave, the owners, her owners, very rich people. Most of us think that evil is bad if it makes us poor. But what about if evil makes us rich? Is it still bad? You know what? Evil's evil no matter what it does. If evil makes you poor and takes everything away from you, it's bad. If evil makes you rich and gives you everything that you want, you know what it is? It's bad. Because what's going to happen, our sins will find us out. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The demons were anointing Paul, um, even though they were saying the truth. What were they saying? These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. You know how I said the demons know the Bible? The, Bible, the demons know what we're supposed to be doing better than we know what we're supposed to be doing. Because if you ask a believer today, what are you supposed to be doing? The majority of us would be saying, going to church and reading our Bibles. And we, we, we would make a list of things that we would think we were supposed to be doing. 
But the demons knew exactly what Paul and Silas were supposed to be doing and what they were doing. They were, they were the servants of the Most High God. And what were they doing? They were proclaiming to them the way of salvation. Those demons knew the job that Paul and Silas had as a man of God. And the job that they had was to proclaim the way of salvation to all people. So they were using this to annoy Paul so many times today. Listen, please, from the bottom of my heart, please listen. That we get annoyed when the preacher talks about us telling people about Jesus Christ. But that's our purpose. That's why we exist. So that fallen mankind would be able to be reconciled with a holy God. Our job is to be a ministry of reconciliation, helping people in this world connect with God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that even the demons realize that's our job, is to tell people, proclaim the way of salvation um, today. So Paul, annoyed like anybody would be, in the name of Jesus, he kicked the demon out of that girl. <laughs> it took about an hour to go out of her, and I, I think that'd be pretty neat to watch that in about an hour, you know what I'm saying? But it, he went out, and when the demon was gone, this girl no longer could tell fortunes. But the problem was this. When the demon was gone, this girl could no longer tell fortunes, nor could she make money for her slave owners. But one thing we miss is this. This girl was possessed by a demon. And when Paul removed that, kicked that demon out in the name of Jesus from this girl, where was that demon at? It was no longer in her. It was kicked out. Think about the joy in that life of that little girl who had been controlled by a demon this whole entire time to be used to make money for this family, to make them rich. She had been captive in that body with that demon this whole entire time but now she has been set free but nobody was rejoicing of her salvation of being set free but everybody was complaining about the loss of income that they were experiencing honesty is this nobody really cared about that little girl they only cared about themselves and we forget that that little girl had been set free and now she is no longer possessed, but she is free from that possession. But they were only concerned with their wallet. The, play, the worst place you can get hit today is in your wallet. You, you can make fun of somebody and they can forgive you. You, you can talk bad about someone any time, maybe you, they'll forgive you. There's a lot of things you can do somebody. But if you rob someone and you take money from that person, probably they'll never, ever forgive you. They'll never forget what you've done to them. Because if you hit somebody in their wallet, they'll never, ever forget of you. And all of you all are good Christian people, and you're like, oh, that's not true. Listen, there's places right now that, that took you, like a grocery store or a restaurant or someone that, that, that did you dirty. You ain't went back in that place yet. That's who we are. That, that's how we live. That's how we do. We don't like to be hit in our wallet at all. And that's what happened today. So what did they do? How did they respond? 
they went and told on Paul and Silas. They were a tattletale. And if you do not think we live in a, a city of tattletales, then you have forgotten communism and you have forgotten COVID-19. Right? Because we are tattletales. We tell on people, if we don't get our way, we're going to make sure someone else don't get their way. Right? And they didn't get their way, so they got upset and they went to the marketplace and they told the, minister, the, 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 the authorities what Paul and Silas had done. They said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these old nasty Jews. And I want to stop there and preach just for a minute. I've had people walk up to me and say, the whole entire church is mad over this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is the whole entire church mad over this? Or are you mad over this? Right? Is it everybody? Literally, is it everybody? Because if it's everybody, I need a, the phone number to U-Haul. Right? But if it's just you, maybe you need the phone number to U-Haul. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it might not be everybody. But he said, what? The whole entire, the whole entire city's upset at these Jews. And listen, why, what they did. Why were they upset? Let me show you the next one. The reason they were upset, they're teaching customs that are legal for us Romans to practice. No, sweet cheeks. They're kicking out demons from your little girls. They're saving your families from the devil. It's different. But listen to me. The demons didn't lie. They told the truth. The demons said, these are the men of God who are proclaiming us to us the the way of salvation, but the people lied and said they are the teaching customs that are illegal for Romans to practice. What they wanted was revenge because they lost something that they would never, ever get back. So what happened? The authorities beat Paul and Silas and throw him in jail. And they ordered the jailer make sure that he, they don't escape. So what the jailer did was the best thing that he could possibly do was he took them and put them in the bottom of the prison, in the deepest, darkest dungeon that they had to make sure they would not ever get out. I want you to think about Paul and Silas for a minute. The only thing they were doing was telling people about Jesus. Lydia got saved and her whole entire family got saved. Now this little girl's freed of a demon. But then now they're in jail. They got beat almost to death and now drug in the bottom of a prison. And it would be so much easier for, easy for Paul and Silas to say, God, why in the world did you do this to me? What did I do to deserve this? Look what I've been doing. I've served you. And here you throw me, you let them beat me and throw me in prison. I don't, that's not right. It's not fair. I don't, I don't deserve that. I can speak on Paul and Silas' behalf because I've been there. In the early 90s, I sold everything I had. Just got out of Bible college. Sold everything. My car, anything that I had that anybody would ever want to buy, I sold. And I bought a plane ticket and I went to the mission field and lived on the mission field. I was living there almost two years. 
maybe a year. No, not, it, was about a, it wasn't even two years. It was about a half a year I was, I was there so far. Because I hadn't been married or nothing at this time. It was, I was just single. And I was driving down the road, and it just started snowing in October. And a lady was late for her train, and she ran across the road um, in that snow. And when I saw her, I slammed my brakes on, but it was too late. I hit her, and she rolled up all over top of my, completely rolled over my car completely. Of course, I was arrested and put in jail. And when I was sitting in jail, I cried out. I was mad. I said, I cannot believe this. I sold everything I had. And I come, got on a plane and came over here, and I live in a place that does not know Jesus, does not know anything about him, and I have proclaimed the way of salvation to these people. And I've seen people saved, and I've seen we've started churches. I mean, it was amazing what was happening. And I said, and God, you throw me in prison? You let this happen to me? It doesn't make sense. There's people all this world, this world that don't even care about you, don't have anything to do with you, don't even want even to wake up on a sunny morning and come to your house. They have nothing. But here, I've done everything I can do, and I end up in jail. And I really remember saying, God, that's pitiful. And I was upset. And when I was sitting in the jail, a young boy, my age, I was 22 years old, he come in the prison, in, the, in there and sat down beside of me, and he smiled, had a smile on his face, and he said in English, he said, what continent is Romania on? And I was mad already, and here little Mr. Jeopardy pops in, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I mean it, I, I wasn't happy with him either and uh, I said Europe you don't know you know what I'm saying like, uh, you, you need help with this little geography and he said most people um, think it's in uh, Asia and, um, and I said well no I, I know exactly how I got here you know I know, I know he said I know I've read your the, the communists have been following me for six months they knew everything about me and, and he said um it's pretty amazing. He said, you, you're going to have to, he said, it's pretty good news, though. I, I got news, but it's, and it's good. Don't, don't worry. And he had a big smile on his face. And I said, what's the good news? He said, well, one, there's nobody in this whole entire police department who speaks English except me. So he was just this guy that's a level entry policeman, and they, they promoted him to captain. <laughs> so me and him became best friends. Um, I got him a good, good job right off the bat. And because um, he could speak English. And he said, but I got a problem. And I said, well, <laughs> what is it? You know, you want to know what continent someone else is on? That way we can help you here. He said, no, the woman you hit, she's one of you. And I said, and I knew exactly what he meant because there's only 1% Christians. He said, she's one of you. And she says that Bible you all read says that she's not allowed to take you to court so she's not pressing charges only thing she wants to know if you take her home and I said I'll take her home 
And she, he said, well, you better do it quick because if not, somebody's going to arrest you and keep you in here forever. So we got out of there real quick. But when I walked out of that jail, I felt that different. Because my last words to the Lord was, you're pitiful. And he allowed me to see that he was powerful. Not only powerful, but the all-powerful. And he changed my life that day. And from now on, I've told him, I said, Lord, if you want to put me in prison, I'm yours. If you want to put me somewhere else, I'm yours. I just want to do that which you've called me to do. So Paul and Silas is going to teach us over the next few minutes on what to do when bad things happen. The very first thing is this. When bad things happen, don't neglect worship. And it is obvious. When something bad happens to somebody, the first thing they do is not go to church. Can't understand it other than it's the devil trying to shut a door. But when bad things happen, don't neglect worship. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and listen, and the prisoners were listening to them. At midnight, in the bottom of that dungeon, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns, and the prisoner, other prisoners were listening to them. And I, I want to go ahead and put those in hillbilly terms, what was happening at that moment. They were having church. That's what they were having. They were having church at midnight in the dungeon, even though a bad thing happened, they did not neglect worship, but what did they do? They not only led worship, but they led others in worship. Please do not neglect worship when bad things happen. You know what? We need to worship when bad things happen. We need to worship when nothing happens. We need to worship when good things happen. We need to be worshipers of a mighty God. Sunday morning ought not be something you say, oh no, it's Sunday. We ought to be Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. We ought to be able to look up and say, is it Sunday yet? Man, we need to be the highlight of our day to come into God's house and praise His holy name. And that's what, because we neglect it. That house that you see there has been neglected because no one has showed up. No one has taken care of it. How would the worship look like if you were in charge? Would it be neglected? Don't neglect the house of God when bad things happen. The second thing we see is this. When bad things happen, don't underestimate God's power. Don't ever underestimate God's power in verse 26 it says this suddenly <laughs> I love that word suddenly you know why because it happens really fast real quick and in a hurry suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone chains were loosed I have been in multiple earthquakes in my life but there has never ever been an earthquake in our understanding that would take handcuffs off people. That'd be a bad earthquake. We try to figure out how God does some things, but we cannot figure out how an earthquake can take handcuffs off, off, off of people and off their feet. 
There's no way. You know why? Because we can never, ever underestimate God's power. He can do absolutely anything He wants to do, and He does do that absolutely every single day. Our problem in the church today is that we, we think we overestimate God. But you will never, ever overestimate God. You will never give too much to God. You will never, ever trust God too much. You will never, ever believe in God over that you should believe in God because He is our God. And He is awesome and has all the power in this whole entire world. So when you're in a bad situation... Don't underestimate God's power of getting you out of that situation. Because God is able and he's working right now. And then when bad things happen, we're going to see here is we don't need to give up. We're going to move our attention from Paul and Silas to the jailer. In verse 27 he says this, And the keeper of the prison, waking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice and listened to what he says. Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. That jailer is just like me and you. You're in jail, and your handcuffs fall, fall off, and your, the, fit, the, the things on your feet fall off, and the doors open. There's not one person in the history who's ever been in jail would stand there sit there. Every one of us would do what? We'd go out them their doors, right? That's what would everybody do. But something special was happening here today. And when all those things fell off and the earthquake happened and the doors opened, the jailer saw that and knew that everybody was gone. And they had told him that he was not allowed to lose a prisoner. He was not getting ready to be reprimanded. He was not ready to, to um, lose a week's salary. He was ready to be killed. And he knew that that was coming. And he was giving up. But Paul said, don't give, don't do that. We're all here. When bad things happen, don't ever give up. We sometimes, and I don't want to say anything bad about this new generation, but the older generation just didn't quit. They just hung in there. They were strong. But as these generations are coming by, we're becoming quitters. It becomes easier and easier for us to quit. But Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all right here. When bad things happen, don't ever quit. Because we're right here. God has not only blessed you with his son, Jesus Christ, who's promised that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but he's put you in a church of brothers and sisters that are always going to be right here and that we can walk through the valley of shadow of death together. When bad things happen, don't give up. And the fourth thing you see this morning I want to show you is this. When bad things happen, do what you're called to do. You know, I'm proud of the boys on Friday night. Uh, a lot of us don't have hardly voice because of Friday night. And you know what? They got us rattled at the beginning of that game and and a couple, couple of you all who were watching the game were thinking we lost that, that game. But you know what they did? They continued to do what they were supposed to be doing. They continued to do what they had been practicing doing their whole lives. You, most of you all have been born-again believers for years. 
you've been reading God's word, you've been coming to church, you've been poured into in Bible school and Sunday school, and you have this, this amazing knowledge of the working of God in your life. And when bad things happen, just do what you're supposed to do. Be who you're supposed to be. React the way you're supposed to react because God has begun a good work in you and he's going to perform that work until his, he comes back for us. He's given you that faith in your life right now and trust in him. And if you're a new believer, that's why it's so important to get in God's word, to get into a small group and learn. So when you do get shook, that what comes out of you will be God's holy word and you'll know how to react to that. And that's what is important for us. When bad things happen, do what you're called to do. Look with me in verses 29 through 31. Then he called for a light, a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, listen, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And listen to what Paul told him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. How did they respond when bad things happened? They did what they knew to do. They told people how to be saved. They knew how to respond because they had already told people how to be saved before. They had seen it. And the jailer was a mess, and he knew that his life was over. He knew that he had made the worst mistake of his life, and he was, this was the end. And the reason he knew he could ask the most important question in the world was he heard them in church just a few hours before. He listened to their singing. He, he heard their prayers, and he saw them worshiping God. So he knew that they had something that he wanted, and so when it when they got into a place where he had no other opportunity, he ran to them with a light, and he sat down, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew that they were the chance, the open door for him to believe upon Jesus Christ, and he wanted to go through that door. He needed salvation, and they said, the only thing you got to do is believe. Call out on Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was ready to hear about Jesus. He was ready to believe upon him. And a whole family, listen, a whole family came to Christ because Paul made the most out of a bad situation. Don't waste a crisis. Don't waste a tragedy. Use that crisis. Use that tragedy for the glory of God to proclaim the good news that God has saved us. And if you look at that jailer, he gives us some, some beautiful information in verse 32 through 34. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And, then, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. First thing that Philippian jailer did that day was he heard the word of God and he believed in Jesus Christ. But it did not stop there. And it cannot stop there with you.
and I as well. But what he did was he brought them to his family. And his family heard the word of God. And they believed in Jesus Christ and they were baptized. But it did not stop there. And I love it that it did not stop at just at salvation. But what did the jailer do? He took Paul and Silas into their home. And it says he cleaned their stripes. You remember that they got put in jail. They were beaten before they were put in jail. And no one had ministered to Paul and Silas. Their, their stripes were still bleeding. They had not yet been cleaned or taken care of. But yet they were having church while their stripes were bleeding. But after the Philippian jailer heard the word of God, after he took them to his family and they heard the word of God and they were baptized, the Bible says that he took them and cleaned up their stripes and fed them. You know what he did? He did service unto the Lord by taking care of Paul and Silas. We want you to connect with the Lord, but not just stop there. We want you to connect with the Lord with others, and, but we don't want to stop there. We want you to connect with the Lord and others and do service for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is able to, deserving of praise. We want you to bring the good news to your family. We want you to serve the Lord. If you would come to me this morning and you say, Preacher, I have one hour to give God this week. What do you want me to do in that one hour? I'm going to respond to you without even thinking, I want you to come to worship service. I want you to come and sing with us and praise the Lord with us. And I want you to hear God's word ministering to your heart. And I, I want you to participate in that worship service. Then a couple months would go by. You say, Preacher, I've been coming to worship service now for a couple hours, couple of months. I have another hour I want to give to the to the Lord. How would you want me to use that hour? What what would you want me to do? Without thinking, I would say this. I want you to get plugged in to a Sunday school class. And I know that to most people, Sunday school class meant something you did in 1967. But the Sunday school hour at 10 o'clock is the most, it's the greatest hour in this world. You know why? Because nothing has happened in the history of mankind at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. There's still nothing you can watch on TV. There's no, still nothing you can do anywhere else. There's no competition. The 10 o'clock hour is wide open. The only thing you can do at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is sleep. And some of you all be like, that's a good idea. And not, then the preacher says, or go to hell. Um, I would want to wake up, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but all right. But, you know, I, I, you get two hours. One of them, I want you in Sunday school, in a Bible study, connecting with other people, learning about Jesus Christ. Then my prayer is, in a couple months, you're going to come to me. And you say, preacher, I've been coming to church worship service and I've been going to Sunday school man God's working in my life I have another hour for me and my family to give to God where do you want me to give it I'm going to say this and this is where it's going to shock us I'm going to say this 
I want you to take that third hour and I want you to work. I want you to be wherever God, whatever gift God's given you. If it's the food bank, serve at the food bank. If it's singing, sing. If it's teaching children, teach children. If it's worship kids style, worship kids style. If it's working in the nursery, work, but service. Do something for the glory of God. And you're saying, you mean you don't want me to go to the to church that third hour as well? No. But you know what's going to happen? After you start serving and start working, you're going to come back to me and you're saying, Preacher, I've been going to church, Sunday school, now I'm serving the Lord. What do you want me to do the fourth hour? The preacher dies of a heart attack right there, and you become the preacher. Right? That's what happened. No, I'm joking. But that's the plan, is that, that we grow into the place where we are going to not only worship God, but that we're going to study together and learn together, but then also that we're going to serve the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. Listen to what he says in verse 34. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Preacher, what's, what's your goal for me and my family? <laughs> you just read it. My goal for your family is this, that you can sit down and eat and rejoice having believed in God with all his household. I want you to all be able to sit down at dinner after church and have joy unspeakable and full of glory because your old house is saved. Your old house believes in Jesus Christ. That's my goal. And I don't want it to stop right there, but I want you to be able to sit down with your old family that's saved and be able to say, you know what, for me and my house, we serve the Lord together. And that's the heart that we have. We want to connect others with God. We want to connect others with other people. And we want to connect others to serving the Lord. And I want to close with this story that I read this week from David Jeremiah. Um, and I never heard it. The guy's name is, is a boy. He's 15 years old. His name is Jacob, Jacob Brown or Jacob Smith. It's a very common name. I can't remember what it is. But he is blind. He became blind as a teenager and he loved to ski. But when he became blind, it became impossible for him to continue skiing. But his dad treated him as if he was not blind. And he bought him skis, I think, for Christmas. Or he had already bought the skis for Christmas, and he gave them to him. And the little boy was like, you know, Dad, I'm blind. How, how can we do this? So they started working to learn to ski blind. And Dad and the son would go out on the little slope and bigger and they got two-way radios in their helmets and when they were skiing down the slope um, his dad would say turn right turn left and that's how the boy would know which way to um, move and ski and he was able to to ski the largest mountain in Colorado by himself um, with I mean as a blind person with his dad helping him come down that hill. And it's amazing. And when they were interviewing him, they asked him how hard it was to trust his dad. Um, and he said simply this, when my dad says turn right, 
I turn right. I want to stop there for a second because if that was me in that little boy's spot and my dad said turn right, the first thing I would say was, are you sure? And then I would hit a tree. And in my spiritual life, I feel like that I'm coming down a mountain blind. And God is saying, turn left and turn right. And every time he tells me that, I'm questioning him. If he, is that really what he wants me to do? But in my questioning, I wipe out. And then I got to get back up. Then I want to quit skiing. I want to start doing something that's easier that I can do on my own, like knitting. If knitting's, if knitting's hard, I apologize. It probably is. Um, but I, I, it would be so hard on me because if someone told me to turn right, I'd be like, how hard? Right, right, or a little bit right. You know, It would be so hard. But this little boy said the only way he was able to do it was completely trust his dad. Let me share something with you. We're coming down a scope right, slope that's really steep right now. And there's a lot of trees. And we can't see them. We need to trust God. And when he says turn right, we better turn right. When he says turn left, we better turn left. Because he knows, because he can what? See something that me and you cannot see. This little boy just helped me so much because he put his faith in his father to get him down that hill. I'm going to have to put my faith in God to get me through this problem I'm in right now. And if anything happens to us or bad things happen, we start figuring out what's going to happen. But what we need to figure out is this. We're going to trust God. And this morning, if you've yet to believe upon Jesus Christ and you put that trust in him, I wonder how you're going to get to the bottom of that hill. How are you going to do it on your own? You don't have to. God wants to take you by the hand and safely lead you home. We need to trust in the Lord. And this morning, if you're a born-again believer who has quit listening into the headset that the Father gave you, and you've not heard him say which way to turn in a long time, Today would be a good day for you to repent of your sins and start trusting in the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to hear you again. I want to listen to you. Tell me in which way we should go. Trust in him today. Not on your own understanding. Lean upon the Lord. Lord God, I'd ask that you would work a mighty work in our hearts.